The Holy Gospel from the second chapter of Luke, beginning at the 41st verse. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Bob. Grace and peace to you all this morning. We may have just cast our votes in November, but the 2020 election cycle, including presidential campaigning, has already begun. Right now, dozens of men and women are in the midst of deciding whether or not they're going to throw their hat into the ring. And when they've made up their mind, they won't declare their candidacy outright, but in some peculiar ritual of American presidential politics, they form what's known as an exploratory committee. Excuse me, I was a political science major in college, so apologies for nerding out on this for like five seconds. So smart candidates know that if they declare their candidacy too early, they'll look power-hungry and brazen. So an exploratory committee helps them look wise and discerning. Just like any American making a difficult choice, I want to speak to my friends and family and get their advice before I come to a decision, they'll say. Electable and folksy, right? But in reality, an exploratory committee is little more than an echo chamber. Candidates stack it with old friends and large donors, party insiders and sympathetic pollsters, all of whom will say, yes, run, you're the one, you're the best, you are the person we need. An exploratory committee, it's not for exploring. 
The decision has been made. The candidate is running. An exploratory committee's job is to confirm and support the plan that's already in motion. To breathe loyalty and importance onto the candidate. To place them in the center of a lot of praise. Think about the impact that's got to have on you if you're the candidate to hear a chorus of voices singing your virtues, to listen over and over again to people who tell you just what you want to hear. Just like a raisin in a pot of oatmeal, you'd begin to plump up. Your sense of self begins to inflate, and what you start to want from people is no longer honesty or advice. What you want is for them to fall in line and support your vision. What becomes most important is your plan and what you want to build. All because you've placed yourself in an echo chamber of people singing your praises. People who won't interrupt your plans. It matters who we listen to. It matters who we let get close to us. Who we become and how we view ourselves and what we're supposed to do while we're alive is largely shaped by whose voices we let into our lives. Presidential candidates listen to people who pump up their sense of pride and importance. And so consequently, most of them walk this world hungry for power and importance and dominance, seeing other people as tools for fulfilling their vision. It is not so for Jesus. Jesus surrounds himself with people too, but not because he needs a cheering section. He doesn't need people to line up behind his agenda and his plans. He doesn't see others as pawns in his quest for power. In fact, it seems like the people he surrounds himself with throw off his plans and derail any agenda that he might have. In today's reading, he gets so engaged in a conversation at the temple that he doesn't notice when his parents leave town without him. Now, if Jesus had had his eyes on the prize, he would have known that a decent Savior would have been obedient. If Jesus had wanted to amount to anything worth amounting to in the eyes of this world, He should have known that sticking around in Jerusalem and letting his parents leave without him would have caused gossip in his hometown, and shameful rumors that he was a bad son would follow him into adulthood, undermining any potential quest for status or worldly authority he wanted. But Jesus seems to savor the delight of human company more than the merits of human power. He willfully ignores the rules of what you should and shouldn't do if you want to get anything done or become someone worth anything. 
He doesn't let a sense of shame or honor guide his steps. He simply marvels at the people who happen to come across his path. He sees their problems, their hopes, their stubbornness or lack of faith, and then he clears his schedule of the appointments a good Savior should be keeping as he strikes up conversation with whomever it is at hand. And it's almost always the wrong people who seem to stumble across Jesus' path, isn't it? It's seldom the big donors and party insiders and sympathetic pollsters who would be good at helping Jesus get a campaign going to help him get strategic about building something worth building. No, it's almost always the people who the world has passed over. People who are blind and deaf and sick and possessed by demons, sinners and sellouts, and foreigners, and women, people who are not going to get him anywhere the world says is worth going. And yet Jesus always seems to find the time to get interrupted by them and knocked off course. We see today that it started early for Jesus. The only story in all of the Bible of Jesus as a youth is about how talking with strangers was so captivating for him that it kept him from going home with his parents. But it's really just the beginning of a lifetime of letting his ministry be dictated not by worldly standards of power and the need to accomplish and build something, but by the needs and hopes and faithfulness of those around him whom the world has passed over. Who we listen to matters, and Jesus listens to people who stop him from pursuing strong-armed power and worldly importance. He lets any quest he might have for becoming relevant and popular become derailed by the love he finds for the nobodies he keeps letting walk into his life. And really, That's the point, isn't it? That's what Jesus has come to show us. That life isn't about making something of yourself. It's not about hoping others fall in line with your plans. It's about receiving the fullness of life that comes only when you die to the smallness of the idea that you are the most important thing that there is when you die to the idea that your plans and your visions are more important than the people in your midst that God is sending you. The world wants you to build yourself a kingdom, but Jesus announces that God has already done that. And because God has already built a kingdom right here in our midst, There's really no point in building another one on our own. All we are left to do is live in the kingdom that God has made for us by pure grace, rejoicing in the ways that God's love is made known when we let others take our lives on courses that we wouldn't have charted for ourselves. Today, we remember our own baptisms. Baptism 
is the entrance to God's kingdom, but it's also an exit from our need to build our own. Baptism is like the exodus going through the waters into freedom. It's an exodus from the tyranny of seeking after prestige and importance into the freedom of becoming available to the invitations to love and life that God sends us in each other. Because the kingdom of God that we enter through these waters is a kingdom of love, love that is so deep and wide and powerful that then how can it do anything else but interrupt your plans and knock your life onto a different path? And when we are baptized and joined to Jesus, when we know that God's love surrounds us, when we know that we have a worthiness that we don't have to prove to anybody, that means we get to opt out of our striving for power and perfection. We get to disband the exploratory committee we've convened to plump us up and make us believe that our vision and our success is what matters. We die to the idea that we must become important because we know that in God's kingdom, we already are. And so when we are joined to Jesus in baptism, we become available to the love and life God is inviting us to in our neighbor, especially our neighbors that the world passes over. This past Friday night, two elected officials rode the light rail all night long. One serves on the St. Paul City Council and the other is a commissioner for Hennepin County. And these two women traveled from the Mall of America to downtown Minneapolis to St. Paul and back and forth again all night. Someone had told them that people experiencing homelessness used these trains for shelter. And so they wanted to see it for themselves. They wanted to get to know and listen to the people who make their beds on light rail seats each night. There are between two and three hundred of them, by the way. These two elected officials, their day-to-day -day job is making decisions about where billions and billions of dollars get spent each year. And that role gets them access to pretty important people, donors and lobbyists and party officials, people who can advance their agendas and careers, people who can make them something. One of those important people could have just handed them a fact sheet on homelessness so they could return to making themselves and their visions real in the world. Yet here they were, spending the whole night chatting and laughing and listening to people who were of no strategic use to them. People who couldn't donate. People who might not even vote. People the world has passed over. God's kingdom looks like that train, where the quest for worldly power was laid aside in exchange for the power that comes from getting caught up 
in the people God puts in our midst. Who we listen to matters, and these women listened to people who derailed any sort of plan or ambition they possessed. And that is freedom. That is the kingdom. And when you are baptized, that freedom and that kingdom are yours. Amen.